the, the spine training in neurosurgery, a neurosurgery post residency graduate has done more spine cases than a spine trained or fellowship trained orthopedic surgeon. That's how much spine is in neurosurgery. So if someone wants to do a spine fellowship, then, then there are more questions such as, you know, why? Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. Today we have yet another fantastic guest. We are lucky to be joined by Vince Trinellis. Vince is uh, is a icon in the spine neurosurgery world. Vince has basically been doing spine for about as long as anybody uh, that I know that's still practicing. And Vince um, uh, has led many organizations, including the spine section, as the president of that uh, that great society. So, Vince, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So Vince, uh, you're at Rush now, but you were in Iowa running the spine program there for a couple decades. And I've gotten to know you more through CAST, C-A-S-T, um, which is the organization that kind of oversees fellowships. And we wanted to spend about a half hour today talking about this topic of fellowships. Um, it, it is a very complex and evolving arena and of great importance to the, the, the people who are in training now. Uh, for those who haven't gotten into residency yet, uh, maybe Dr. Trinellis, can you give them an introduction to what a fellowship is? Like, what's that defined as? Uh, certainly. A fellowship is any sort of experience that is traditionally more focused and more uh, specific uh, outside of the general educational programs of neurosurgery, the general residencies. CAST is a, is a committee of the Senior Society of Neurological Surgeons, which is an organization made up of program chairmen and program directors. Um, and its sole purpose is to examine education and, and, and try to improve neurosurgical education. CAST stands for the Committee on Advanced Specialty Training. And there was concern amongst uh, organized neurosurgery, and the same is true in orthopedics with their spine fellowships that there's variable quality and some are good experiences and some aren't. And therefore, in an effort to standardize the experience and make sure that it met a certain uh, metric in terms of quality, uh, CAST was created and CAST uh, sets uh, criteria for programs to achieve accreditation by CAST. Now, a fellowship could exist without CAST um, and it could be excellent, um, but, but to obtain CAST approval shows that a, a certain number of uh, minimums have been met and that and, and it, it's like be, a, a residency program is either accredited or not accredited. So uh, a, a program can be on probation for some reason uh, and perhaps it still has a lot of educational opportunity. So that's sort of the background. And, and now neurosurgery, uh, more than half of uh, people that complete a program are doing fellowships, and there are fellowships in pediatrics, uh, neuroendovascular, functional in pain, skull base, 
uh, which is usually combined with uh, skull-based vascular um, and critical care and spine, uh, just to name uh, a number of them, peripheral nerve also. Now, Dr. Trainellis, um, coming again from, from, I guess, the younger man's perspective, um, many of my fellow classmates in medical school who went into a variety of fields had some certain expectation for whether or not a fellowship would follow their own residency training, be it in a medical subspecialty, be it in a subspecialty that still follows as a track after general surgery residency. So many of our listeners in medical school who aspire to neurosurgery or any of these fields may not have a sense of how likely fellowship training is to follow neurosurgical training. So maybe you could give our listeners a sense of how common a fellowship is after neurosurgery training and and perhaps how necessary it is so some of these students have an expectation for what may be down the road for them. That's that's an excellent question and point. I was on the American Board of Neurological Surgeons and rotated off about four years ago. So I'm not up to date on the exact number, but more than half, perhaps 60% of individuals completing neurosurgery training, at least back at that time, were then going on and doing six-month to one-year fellowships. So it's much more common than one would think, but it's not universal. The neurosurgery training programs are structured such that they give a broad education in the field, and there is no need for any specific graduate of one of these programs to do a fellowship. They should be uh, capable of uh, practicing in the, in the broad spectrum of neurosurgery. Now, will they focus on highly complex problems and defined areas? No, they should, these should probably be re, re, uh, referred somewhere else. So if an individual is keenly interested in a specific area and wants to gain extra expertise and, and focus the practice more prominently in that area, uh, this is a reason to do a fellowship. Uh, and many people still feel that need. And, uh, and so I think that's why they, they are popular. Now, Vince, it's interesting because, I mean, you, you're a bit older than me. I'm a bit older than JP. And I remember when I was coming up in the ranks, there was this whole debate. And, and Marty Weiss, who was our chair at the time at USC, always talked about how every neurosurgeon, with maybe the exception of peds, right, we, we took a stance that every neurosurgeon is qualified to do all of neurosurgery. In other words, when you go into a hospital and you want privileges to, to do subdurals for trauma or a shunt in a kid or spine fusion or uh, aneurysm, clipping aneurysm, that somehow we were qualified. And that gave us an, an incredible amount of leverage. And I believe we're the only doctors that when we finish our residency can do critical care without a fellowship as well, I believe. I'm not sure about that. Um, there, this shift towards 50% of people doing an, a fellowship after residency, how do you see this geopolitically? Is this just a trend? Um, is that thinking that I was talking about sort of old school, or is that necessary as part of what we do? Because our training is already so long, right? Right. It's, it is long, seven years. Um, you, you make an excellent point, and, and the board still uh, maintains that anyone who finished an accredited training program is qualified to do all phases of neurosurgery with the exception of uh, endovascular. There are some specific hospital requirements for endovascular procedures, but if an individual accomplished all those in training, they they could do that too. So why all the fellowships? Um, 
it could be that there's an exploding amount of information in all the subspecialties. And if you really want to focus, you need to spend that extra time. It, it also could be, to be honest, a generational thing. And in my generation, there were no real review courses or things like this. And now it's like, you know, SAT, everything, people take review courses and they do all of this prep work. And and uh, and I see it as, as something that didn't didn't happen hardly at all. And so I, I don't know whether it's generational, whether it's the extra information that's out there, whether uh, specific practices want that specialized training and they're looking for that person to fill a niche. I, I just don't know. Well, Dr. Trainellis, um, obviously in, in your role at Rush as program director, you're my boss and, and one of my chief advisors as I uh, make progress through my own residency training. So maybe putting on your program director hat, um, when residents who are getting up towards the middle portion or, or certainly later in their training come to you for advice and they're considering whether or not to pursue a fellowship and then secondarily which fellowship to pursue, um, how do you think about the individuals considering that road and, and what kind of people do you generally advise toward or away from uh, fellowships after their residency? Well, the first the first question is, uh, what, which fellowship are they speaking about? If, if someone has a, a serious interest in, in pediatrics and wants to devote their practice to them, then, then really this is going to be critical to do extra training in pediatrics. And, and the same is true of endovascular. Some, some areas, such as functional fellowship, is exceedingly helpful and important. Um, but, but I think someone might be able to hang their their shingle out as a uh, functional surgeon and, and with the basis they learned in, in their residency and, and develop a practice. So it, it, it's not always mandatory. And the same is true with spine. There's the, the spine training in neurosurgery, a neurosurgery post residency graduate has done more spine cases than a spine trained or fellowship trained orthopedic surgeon. That's how much spine is in neurosurgery. So if someone wants to do a spine fellowship, then then there are more questions such as, you know, why? What what is it you're missing here that you want to get? What what do you want to learn? Um, and 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 if if they have valid reasons, then then certainly it's a good idea. It, it's an individual's choice, so I can't change someone's mind. But I, I make I, I would challenge them in some fields to think about what they wanted to get so, out of it. So, I mean, Vince, can you tell tell us a little bit about the pros and cons? Obviously, doing a fellowship is an eighth year of training, potentially. Uh, it's time out of your life. Um, it's time you're not out there practicing. Um, like, when people are looking at fellowships, like, like what, what are the compelling reasons? Is it more due to, like, an inadequacy of their training and residency, or is it because they want to be super specialized or, you know, get uh, get special notoriety in that field? What do you think is driving people towards this? I think it's all of the above. Some, some want the specialized training. Some want mentors in a subspecialty to help them move along in their careers. Uh, others uh, feel a lack of uh, specific uh, exposure to cases, and and they want to. They they feel it's important for them to learn that, so they're willing to put the extra year in. And how do people generally pursue these fellowships? I mean, obviously, we all wind up in our training programs through a match. Um, are, but from what I understand, fellowships are generally more of a typical interview process. There, there is a match for the pediatric fellowship. Um, some neurosurgeon 
graduates will choose to do fellowships in other specialties, such as spine in orthopedics, and there's a match. Uh, the endovascular uh, group also, I believe, has, has some match capabilities, but others are more freelance, and you would uh, find them uh, if they're CAST approved, you can find them on the CAST website. Otherwise, if they're not, it's it's word of mouth. Uh, you 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 look in different areas and journals. You talk to people at other institutions, and you find out where these are, and then uh, submit the required application, have an interview. So, a lot of it is much looser uh, than than the formal match one goes through for residency. And Vince, is when you look at fellowships like CAST versus non-CAST accredited, and, and I know that we could go real in, de- in depth and in detail about Miami and our spine fellowships here, but like, is there a difference if you graduate with or without CAST accreditation? That's a difficult question. There are outstanding programs that are not CAST approved. Um, and, you, you know, you, you may have some CAST unapproved positions in Miami, and that would be one of them. Uh, if we if we stick with spine, there are outstanding orthopedic fellowships that are not cast approved, um, and so cast approval approval doesn't mean lack of cast approval doesn't mean it is a good experience. But the approval gives a a foundation that you know at least it's it's a quality experience because there's also many fellowships that are. Uh, poorly structured, the, the clinical load is not great, essentially you're someone's gopher. So you, you want to avoid that situation. And also the board is linking more and more with CAST and, and the board is looking to give certificates of special practice focus. And some of that will be pay, based on whether someone had a CAST fellowship. So if you want a special focus in surgical oncology, maybe you needed to do a CAST uh, oncology fellowship. And so that may be something that organized neurosurgery is headed toward in the future. But there's good experiences outside of CAST. Um, I'm, I'm not denying that. And every program doesn't have to be CAST approved. It's just one mechanism to recognize uh, some set of programs with, with good quality. So Dr. Trinellis, thinking about the differences between these fellowships at different programs, I think one of the starkest differences I've seen uh, kind of surveying the landscape and, and thinking about my own future prospects is programs that offer infolded fellowships in whatever subspecialty, uh, frequently in spine, or programs that do not. And to my understanding, um, recently CAST made a change in policy that required a fellowship to be completed, at least I, I believe I read this regarding spine fellowships, it had to be completed after the chief year of your res- residency training, which has subsequently pushed some programs to change their training model. Um, maybe you could speak a bit towards the potential differences between an infolded fellowship in any discipline versus one that's completed after the full residency training program and, and how the individuals may benefit from the different timing of that training. Certainly. Well, let's, we'll just use the CAST model. There are the, the, most fellowships uh, in neurosurgery outside of spine and still many of the, most of the spine fellowships are CAST approved. So when this, when the fellowship is done depends partly on what the, what the fellowship specialty is. And if we use some terminology, the CAST would consider infolded anything done within the seven-year residency program. So if one is a chief after their sixth year, even though they've had the full residency experience and they do it the seventh year, it's technically infolded 
even though it's after a chief year. But if we think of critical care, that could be done in early in a residency in the fourth year uh, because it's not based on uh, heavy operative experience. Uh, the first part of, endo, of the two-year endovascular fellowships are frequently done in mid-residency mid uh, because the skill set needed is not one that's being developed as an operative neurosurgeon mm. uh, and functional can be done sooner. Um, but skull base, pediatrics, and spine uh, are all required uh, by CAST to have completed a chief, chief residency. And the, and the thought process is you should have a basic fund of knowledge and experience uh, to be ready to do more complex things and also to appreciate the nuances of them and not just be learning the basics on these big complex cases and, and, and problems that are, have to be thought out before surgery. So it's meant to, to, to give an individual the, the best uh, skill set that they can make the most out of their uh, fellowship. So Vince, you know, one of the things that I guess most people don't think about until after they're well into fellowship or about to finish is this issue of uh, hospital accreditation. And I guess when you look at orthopedics, right, it's hard to get, if you will, privileges to do spinal surgery unless you've done some sort of an orthopedic spine fellowship. What are the implications for neurosurgeons? In other words, I'm guessing endovascular might be the one where you would need to have done a fellowship, but where, where are people with this? Are hospitals asking for like a certificate of having done spine or functional? Is there any kind of trend there that people should be looking at? Well, endovascular is the big one, as you mentioned. Uh, you won't get privileges to, to do these unless you've shown you've had the formal training. And, and that's true of whether you came through radiology, neurology, or neurosurgery. Even a radiologist has to do the endovascular training. Um, critical care, which was touched upon earlier, a neurosurgeon can manage their own critical care patients. But if someone wanted to be a director, run a portion of a critical care unit, most hospitals would require fellowship training. So if, if you want to expand that and do more, then you'd probably have to do a fellowship. For spine and neurosurgery, there should be no restrictions. The, the restrictions may be, as time goes forward, if, uh, if robotic surgery becomes bigger and bigger, you may have to show that, that you've been trained in a robot. It, you, know, you, you need to show you've had laser training if someone wants to use a laser. So uh, these, are, these are the types of things that it may be necessary. But there are many things neurosurgeons can do uh, without, uh, without the fellowship. It's, it's not mandatory. Well, having, you know, d discussed the, I guess, employment side of things and the technical training side of things, maybe uh, as we near the end of this episode, we could think for a moment about how our patients and potential patients might view someone who is or is not, you know, fellowship trained on, on the sign for the practice. Um, maybe within academia, where we're all currently practicing, we have an institutional name on which to rely. But um, Dr. Trainellis, do you think maybe our colleagues in private practice or community settings may pursue fellowships for the sake of, um, not to say advertising and sound crass, but to appeal to a broader set of patients and perhaps reassure them for increasingly complex procedures that that surgeon may offer? And, and in general, what do you think the role or utility of fellowship training is outside of the academic neurosurgery setting? I think the foundation... And the reason to go into to do a fellowship is to gain more experience and education. Um, having said that, it, it, I can certainly see in some situations that uh, having the certificate is a benefit 
if anyone does challenge you one at the hospital and and it would be on a website and and be more comforting to patients uh i don't think the value is worth spending a year i think the year spent is more important that you're you're getting good education from it but i i see that being used um and and i don't that's not necessarily a bad thing we all you know, we're, we're all graded in different ways and we want to put our credentials out. I, I don't feel it's necessary, but I, I'm sure that it happens. All right. Well, Dr. Trainellis, we want to respect your time. Um, on behalf of Dr. Wang and myself and everyone listening, thank you so much for giving us your time and experience on the podcast this evening. Um, obviously, uh, both you and Dr. Wang have stellar, uh, nationally renowned spine fellowships at each of your institutions. So, you couldn't have two better people to, to speak about this important topic. Um, again, Dr. Trainellis, uh, thank you so much both for directing me and my training and for joining us tonight on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thank you, sir. Well, it was a pleasure. Uh, Mike, I, I didn't really ask you, do you have any thoughts, strong thoughts on this, or do you see any trends coming to the future with the fellowships and, and the residents that you're involved with? Well, you know, we're a very, 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 very heavy spine program. I think you guys and us and Thomas Jefferson are the biggest spine programs in the country, right? And um, I was on the phone with Mike Capuzzo today, and we were talking about, you know, you know how Chris Shaffrey's been talking about moving towards the spine residency. And I, I, I was always reticent because I consider myself a neurosurgeon, but Mike Capuzzo said to me, you know, this may be the way of the future. Everything, as you said, Vince, is getting more complicated. It's so much more than when I was in training. And, uh, and I think specialization is sort of the trend of civilization. So I, that's my suspicion is that we're going to go to like the three years of residency plus three years of specialization. Um, but, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of there are a lot of stakeholders here. Right. A lot of moving parts on this. There, there are. And, and you know, I, I somewhat agree with you. I mean, that's been talked for a while, but it, it seems to be getting stronger and stronger in it. It's got. It's got certainly advantages, uh, but but there's some drawbacks, and there's a lot lot to work out. And Vince, for folks now, just so people know, the only folks we lose our fellow applicants to are the guys at Rush, which is you and Rick Fessler. Can you put the shout out of how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in doing research with you or doing a fellowship? We have a Rush does not have a fancy or good website, but we do have websites, and we have <laughs> fellowship. Fellowship information on there. We have an online uh, online uh, application, um, and and how about and your place is uh, is easy to contact. You have actually have good good websites, but uh, for those interested in Miami, what's the process there? Well, yeah, we have a good website. I would say if anybody is interested in, in going to Rush, please reach out to JP through the Neurosurgery Podcast uh, email. <laughs> that would be a good way. And then he'll, he'll direct you to Dr. Trinellis, Dr. Fessler, and their colleagues. So thanks sure. again for coming on the podcast. All right. Thank you. Well, Jeremy, I am very much looking forward to the ISAS meeting, which will be, I think, in Boca Raton in 2021. Is that correct? That's correct. May 6th to the 8th. Oh, great. Fantastic. Tell us about the meeting. Tell us about what we can expect the ISAS and how exciting it's going to be. I think the annual meeting next year will actually be superb. It's under new leadership, and that leadership has absolutely committed to refocusing the meeting. And it's going to refocus on being highly practical. It's going to focus on new techniques, 
new technologies. And the information you get from that meeting is the type of information you can go back to your practice next week and implement it and use it.